0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Omnitalk Spotlight Series, where we discuss the technologies the companies and the people that we believe are shaping the evolution of retail. Today, we're coming to you live from Etel West in Palm Springs, and a big thank you to our sponsors, Sezzle. Sezzle is the number one shopper-rated buy now, pay later option for e-commerce stores. Sezzle increases sales and order values by letting shoppers get the things they want now, but pay for them in four interest-free installments over the course of six weeks. Try Sezzle for free for 30 days. Visit get.sezzle.com/etail. That's get.sezzle.com/etail. If, or if you're at the show, visit booth W30. Sezzle, engaging the next generation of buyers. And of course, Stylelytics. Styalytics is a scalable outfitting solution used by the biggest and best retailers in fashion. Stylytics delivers personalized and on-brand outfitting content, which increases the customer's basket size and creates a more compelling shopping experience. Find Stylytics here at the show or by visiting s-t-y-l-i-t-i-c-s dot I'm excited today, Anne. Are you thrilled? Well,
1: one, I'm happy to be warm. That's we are, nice. We are outside. <laughs> We're recording this podcast. <laughs> I think it might be the first we've ever recorded first outside. First time
0: outside. One time in New York we did, but I think oh yeah, when that's we were true. outside Hudson comfortably Yards. Yeah, comfortably. Yeah. Comfortably. Yeah, it's sitting actually outside. not windy and hair's not blowing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But we're excited today because we have one of the hottest companies in retail. I actually might say it's the hottest company in retail right now. Yes, for sure. And that's ThreadUp, And we are joined by Heather Craig, the head of retail experience at ThreadUp. Heather, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
1: You just got in, right?
2: Yes, okay. we just landed about an hour ago. Okay,
1: and you're based in San Francisco, you said?
2: Our office is headquartered in Oakland, so in the Bay Area. we just moved to our new office in Oakland in October, um, in the old old part of Oakland. It's a really cool area.
1: And so, tell us a little bit about you and your background first, before we get too far into Up. I want to hear kind of what your backstory is.
2: So, I'm born and raised in Orange County, originally i had my first job in retail at 15 at kids r us as a stock girl really it wasn't the most glamorous job how you, i know this is shocking to hear yeah how did you pick kids or us i really don't know i just wanted to try a retail job sure. and it was one that i could they were hiring work the hours with my school
0: what was kids R us i don't even remember that was that like a standalone concept it was
2: all kids clothing oh my god i don't jeez okay it was a very interesting experience but it is what kind of started my interest in retail very early on. Um, when I, I say I got my first real job in retail was when I was 19 at Nordstrom and I got hired as a salesperson in the okay. handbag department, Ooh. which is like favorite. Love that department. I was going to school full time, getting my degree in fine arts, but then also work, working full time. So it was perfect to be able to get 40 hours a week as a salesperson while still going to school. Things just sort of ran together. And next thing I know, I'm an assistant buyer for Nordstrom as their accessory um, assistant buyer for the Southwest. Oh, wow. And that just sort of like led me to that path. Um, I finished school because I was just a few months short of that when i got offered the position as the assistant buyer and i was like i need to just finish school this buying thing might not work out long term (laughs) for me i don't know so i finished um and that kind of took me to uh st john knits in irvine i worked there for a couple of years my first like real vertically integrated company then got married had kids moved up to seattle lived up there for about eight years and worked at tommy bahama leading their women's division okay. for the retail and e-commerce. And then most recently, before I was at Startup, I was at the North Face for seven years. Mm. And I ran their uh, buying and merchandising for the retail stores and for their e-commerce business.
0: Wow, for both sides of the business. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive. i I'm
2: a big believer in omni-channel. And it really started early for me. Yeah. A kind of scary to say before the internet was around. So I love that that's sort of my thing.
0: It's kind of our thing, too, I think, you know, given that we're named OmniTalk. So this <laughs> is perfect. This yeah. This is perfect. Well, I think your company, too, is probably embracing that wholeheartedly. And I'm guessing you, you probably have a lot to do with that as well. Tell the audience, if you will, a little bit about ThreadUp just from a background perspective, like what it is, how it started. Because, man, you guys are blowing up pretty big.
2: Sure. So we are in our 10th year, we are the world's largest secondhand resale website in the world. We carry all women's and children's clothing, ranging from Old Navy, Target, all the way up to Louis Vuitton, Gucci, the full range. We are. We originally started with our founders when they were at Harvard Business School, and they were experimenting with this idea of trading in their shirts for mm. credit. They found the experience not to be great, kind of an awkward experience. So they said, let's try something different to make it more hassle-free, make it easier, a little more comfortable for people to sell their used clothing without having to walk into a store and feel that rejection of someone not accepting your item. It is so judgy, too. It really is. It makes you really uncomfortable. I'm like, I swear these are cute. I promise.
1: I only wore them like like two times. Yeah, Yeah, I know. Just
2: trust me. Um, So I think they're not mine, honestly. They they learned that early on that there was a lot of um, interesting details around the business. It was just very different, and it sort of evolved to where it is now, which is. Super powerful. Huge. We have four distribution centers, millions of units across the country. Um, We acquire all of our inventory from people like you that have great sense of fashion and you have clothes in your closet and you just want to get them out. So it's really the easiest way to kind of clear everything out of your closet and really be able to control kind of, you know, what you can make back on your
1: items. And and tell us about what the process looks like for customers right now. Like what are the options that they have if they want to participate?
2: So right now, if a customer has never shopped with us, first time experience, they'd go on our website, they'd set up their Account mm-hmm. that's an important part because otherwise you don't get money if your account isn't set up. So I always remind people don't be afraid because you want to get you want to get credit back. Right, right. Um, so they have an option to select a cleanout kit, which is a traditional cleanout kit that would give them credit to throw up. Okay, they could do a donation kit, which means it's still the same kit, but all the proceeds and um, funds go towards an organization of your choice, which mm. the customer can select which one. Or we now have the option of getting a partner clean out kit, which means in light of the gap announcement, a customer can go on and say, I want a clean out kit that does gap credit Okay. instead. So the bag arrives in their store or in their home. It's folded up. Um, it opens to the size of about a laundry hamper, maybe holds 40 items, kind of depends on the item's time of year. Load it up, send it in. And within a few weeks, we process it, we photograph it. We get it all up on the site, and we get it sold for you really quickly.
1: So you're doing all the processing. Then it's all going to one of these four distribution mm-hmm. centers. So that's the that's the experience as ThreadUp started. But you mentioned Gap. You've been in JCPenney, Macy's. Um, tell us a little bit about that part of it. And you've been your head of retail experience for mm-hmm. ThreadUp. Tell us just a little bit about when that started and what that experience has kind of looked like now.
2: Sure. I know that from very early on, there was always a vision of ThreadUp being able to power apparel secondhand for everybody. And so a few years ago, I had an opportunity to meet our CEO and we started talking a little bit about what would retail stores look like if ThredUp had them? What would they feel like? How would they smell? How would they you know, look? Just sort of like, what would that experience really be? Knowing that we want to We want it to be different than what you're maybe used to normally. So that sort of just led us into talking a lot about retail concepts. And one thing led to another. And I ended up joining the team to kind of take the lead on that um, in partnership, obviously, with him and all the vision that he would already set in place. So we started off saying we want to just experiment. Like these stores need to be little laboratories for us to figure out what works and what doesn't work. Because there's still a big mystery to be solved around customers that prefer to shop in a store. Mm-hmm.
0: So you guys went into your own physical stores first? First, yep. we did? Wow. Yep, okay. We did.
2: And we were very strategic about the kind of models we did. We wanted to try an outlet center. We wanted to try an outdoor lifestyle mall. We wanted to try kind of a Main Street feel. So we were very strategic around short-term leases, Um getting in the right locations for the experiment. It wasn't always the right location for the business, but it was more to just learn and figure out a lot of things about our customer. And that started to evolve in a way that allowed other brands to see our brand is different than just a place to unload your clothing. Mm -hmm. They started realizing that there's treasures in here. There's super cute stuff. You can buy it for 90% off of retail. And I think that started clicking with a lot of other retailers over the past few years, which is what has really been part of the evolution to bring us into other retailers' lives and help power secondhand for them.
0: Yeah, what did you learn from that? I mean, one of the things I was struck by, too, as you were talking in the very beginning was, Almost every item that you guys have is different from all of the other ones, mm-hmm. which is very unique in retail. Like right. if you look at any supply chain, it's like let's get as many of those shirts in here as possible. For you, every single one is unique. Right. So as you were doing these experiments, even before we get to the partnership side of things, what things were you learning? What were some of the big lessons learned as as you did those experiments and you take them forward with you now?
2: Sure. So I'm sure as you guys know from your own retail experience, you come into a role and you have a lot of your own ideas and thoughts yeah. from your previous experience. But what I really wanted to do was, how do I take what I know and marry it with this secondhand business that these people at ThreadUp are experts in? I'm not. How can I marry the two together? So it really took a lot of experimenting very quickly. So for example, one was around the assortment. There's a belief in secondhand that you have one of everything, and it's just sort of, you know, a little bit of a hodgepodge of things, but kind of like a treasure you're digging for it you're looking for an item but we really wanted to think about it differently knowing that we wanted to change the way people think about secondhand so we said how do we set up our store that creates a totally different feel everything's still secondhand we're not adding upcharge on anything it just feels maybe more like anthro Mm -hmm. or some like a, a more full price experience that a customer that doesn't typically shop secondhand would be accustomed to. Mm -hmm. Right. And from that sort of started all our evolving of, okay, let's try racks by size. Mm -hmm. Let's try color shops. Hmm. And these all evolved depending on geographically what was going on. If there was a music festival in town, we convert the whole store to be kind of festival looks. Sure. So really trying to speak to the local community. So there's hundreds of different ways we were able to create different assortment strategies, dependent on what the need is of the customer.
0: And were there were there any universal truths that you learned through that process? We said, okay, we know this now, and we didn't know this, you know, a year ago or two years ago.
2: Yeah, we definitely learned that customers um, really have no issue carrying their thread-up bag into the store. So. Mm-hmm. We had a store in a mall, and we would see women walking through the mall, pulling their clean-out bag to the store. And that was very interesting, because they just had to call and schedule a pickup with the post office. But they would rather bring it into the store themselves, which I thought was kind of interesting when our whole model has been online.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. The amount of effort we will go to to avoid the post office today within the backdrop of this entire retail conversation Mm -hmm. is fascinating.
2: Yeah. I I would ask women, too... You know the post, you drove past it on your way here. You could have just dropped it off. And they're like, well, we feel better just giving it to you guys. Like they felt like it was in the hands of the brand instead. Um, We also found that unlike online, the store shopping experience was very much... um, like an emotional thing. So they wanted to be inspired mm. by mannequins and outfits. They weren't going on a site and typing like white button down shirt. It's mm-hmm. not a
0: search process. Exactly. But so we really
2: had to constantly reinvent the look and the feel of the store every single day to keep it look, looking really fresh. But what we found that was really interesting is any outfits that were on mannequins just sold and it was different than my previous experience because it was only one. Mm -hmm. So that makes it really hard when you're doing a mannequin display. You can't necessarily have all the same items right right around it. no. But it's more giving the vibe and the feel and kind of giving the inspiration to the customer, which they loved. So
0: you try to play in like the general arena of what's around the mannequin? Yes. Got it.
2: Yeah, so we definitely be, for example, like festival wear, we'd be like long sleeve floral tops in these certain brands, this type of jeans. So it still has like a common thread okay. but it wasn't going to be exactly what's on the mannequin is what they could buy but those mannequins drew a ton of customers in and they loved it
1: so who was styling the mannequins and we what did. It, our, you did our staff yeah, our
2: inter- internal retail team we have okay. um a number of folks that have background at anthropology and north face and ikea they have a lot of merchandising experience that help with that
1: yeah i think that's something to me that's so interesting as you know we look at this surge in re- in the resale market but You know, it does take a certain skill set to be able to make, you know, piles of clothes that are coming in look appealing to shop. As you think about scaling this or about doing more shops or, or even going into some of the partner shops, what does the staffing look like for that? How are you thinking about the teams of people and like making a consistent thread up experience across all of those spaces? So.
2: There was a lot of learnings around that the first couple of years with our stores yeah. where it felt originally like we really had to be hands-on. Like We needed lots of staff. We needed people with these skill sets, which some of that was true. But also, if you do better sort of pre-planning in advance and making sure the assortment is like perfect and you've nailed it, you don't have to rely on the staffing as much.
0: How, sorry, Heather. How are you doing that? Are you having to like... Kind of hold back certain products because you know you're going to send them in because you can't necessarily count on the inventory always being there. Is that you shake your head? Yes. Is that?
2: It's a little bit of a combination. Okay. I like to always give credit to my traditional buying background because there is good things that come from that. Yeah. Um, where I use sort of my open to buy merchandise planning to build an assortment plan mm-hmm. of a concept. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we use the products the millions of products on our site to fill into those concepts. So it's still very curated and the products have to tie together. So we do a lot of work now where we identify the brands, the price, the color, all these things. So when the product arrives at the store, it's really easy to figure it out versus Mm -hmm. maybe a few years ago it arrived and they just opened a box. No, You can't tell what the theme is. Yeah,
0: that's awesome because there's been so much talk of the DCC brands lately too and how they've been performing. But the one thing we've always talked about, and I, you have to have a point of view. Like You can't just put the brand in there or just lease the space and think people are going to come. That's what merchandising is all about. Right. So it's really interesting to hear you say that specifically i don't think we could agree with anything more
2: yeah and we we did try early on the idea of a lot of units that were all categorized sized kind of similar to mm-hmm. a website mm-hmm. but we found really quickly it is way too overwhelming the customer like their their eyes just start rolling and they and they walk out it's too much for them so being very tight and edited Um, driving the customer online for everything else that we can and then constantly refreshing, even if it's daily, every single day updating the mannequins or sending a new product drives that sell-through to a really high level.
0: And that's important. It's having an opinion about what you think people should buy. That's why they're coming in there. They want to see that. That's great. I think that gets lost a lot of times. Okay, so transition to... The partnerships, Mm -hmm. like Gap, big announcement last Mm -hmm. week. We've had other big announcements too, which we'd love for you to touch on. But transition from learning in your own stores to Mm -hmm. now that.
2: So the Gap partnership is is big. And it's very much focused on driving supply for our brand. So we're very much more focused on distributing clean-out kits and trying to get clean-out kits into every everybody's closet Hmm. and Gap being one of the biggest brands is a perfect brand to partner with that can help us do that. So there is the other side of it that is more that brand circularity, that fashion element that we aren't doing yet with Gap. But we are focusing on that clean-out supply side of things where they, we can really help generate some new traffic for them, generate some repeat visits for them um, by giving customers clean-out kits and giving them credit to shop back with Gap again.
0: And is that the same, same process then at some of the other retailers you're working with too?
2: The partnership that we have with Macy's and JCPenney's is more similar to kind of our store experience to where okay. it's a very tight, curated assortment We continue to work with them to evolve it and fine tune it as far as where should it go in the store, how many units, but we really think keeping it tight, focused on maybe three categories feels like the right thing Um, and making sure it's branded without needing too many people to explain it. Like We do have to keep it fairly simple because it does get overwhelming. And to the point about staffing, not every retailer can staff these shops to the level that we might all want. So we have to make it like self-service, right? As Imagine much as you're possible. Still learning
0: through this process, yeah. too, right? Yes. Well, as you look to the future, then, how, in terms of what you know now, how do your own stores play out? How do partnerships and and opportunities to distribute through their channels? How do you guys look at that collectively? Then, say three, five years out from now.
2: So right now, we're really looking at our own stores to continue be continuing to be experimental for us. Mm-hmm. So, for example, right now, we're doing a lot of experimenting around pricing. I just want to test different pricing on different categories, brands, in a physical store based on geography versus some of the digital learnings that we have on pricing. So there's things like that, which will enable us to be uh, ha- have more of a point of authority when we're working with these brands and tell them, this is the price that this item will sell. We know this because we've done the work and it's already proven out that way. So those are some of the experiments that we're trying to do in the store, as well as some other experiments around mobile shopping, conversion, kind of beta testing things with our customers that just benefit ourselves too. Mm -hmm. And then we imagine that that will continue to feed into some of these partnerships that we're doing.
0: At this point, do you know if you expect more of your own stores or more partnership relationships going forward? Like, Do you know how that's going to play out at this standpoint?
2: It's... I, I've learned at ThirdUp, you never know. <laughs> that's
0: good. You never know in retail <laughs> you never either. You know. Yeah. yeah.
2: But what I do know is we're having so much momentum on the partnership side. It feels like that's the right direction for us to continue to push our, our growth. We have our own stores, We're, we keep our own stores, we plan to continue to develop them. But where we see the faster acceleration coming is out of the partnerships.
0: Interesting. So as all these DCC brands are going to open their own stores, you guys are thinking the channel of partnership is the way to go so far, or at least that's where you're heading right now.
2: Yes. And, and I think because of a lot of our learnings on the economics of running a physical store business, that overhead, the labor, that's the thing that kills you from day one. And so we have all these other amazing retailers that have space. Why not partner with them and have a mutually beneficial relationship? Yeah,
0: it gives them a re- gives their customer reason to come into their store. Yep.
1: And you guys just got a pretty substantial amount of funding to support the technology mm-hmm. for those partnerships. Will you tell us a little bit about that, Heather? Like,
2: yeah. So um, I know that a lot of the the investment and the funding that we have gotten is definitely focused on the technology side, especially on the logistics end. Okay. We continue to need to create ways of processing more units at a faster rate. We currently have the largest on-hanger facility in the world that we opened in Phoenix, but we need to continue to open more and give us more space to continue to process clothing. So that's really where the big emphasis from um, a funding standpoint is really going.
1: what about the... um right now in the stores you're curating assortments specifically for that store it's not tied to an online product it's not being sold online and offline at the same time correct correct? so do you think that I mean is there interest in thread up or is there a need really for you guys to explore that option too as you think back to your omni-channel days
2: we've talked a lot about that how we could do that and what we end up finding out is there is so much development that we would need to do, plus staffing that we would really need to optimize Mm. in order to do it. And I think we realize we're not the experts at that. There's Mm. a lot of other retailers that know how to do that really, really well. We know how to get them secondhand product at a great price and get it to them fast. Right. So that's where we've kind of said, I don't know that that's where we can really make big change. Mm -hmm. We can really help support these retailers that know how to do that. Yeah. That makes sense. So like
0: buy online, pick up in store, Mm -hmm. pick up at partner. That's not Mm -hmm. really something right now in the, in the game plan or is that?
2: We're continuing to explore it okay. from a partnership standpoint okay. for our own stores. We do a lot... For your of, own stores. For our own okay. stores. We do a lot of... If a customer comes in, we'll order things online for her and have her pick it up in store. It's not broadly marketed or advertised that that's available, especially because we only have three stores in the Bay Area. Right. So it kind of limits who can really use it.
0: But that's smart, though. It plays with the ethos of what you said before. It's a place to experiment and learn exactly what people want and to what degree. Right. You know, just because other people are doing that doesn't necessarily mean it's always the best thing for you, too. Um, Last question before we get you out of here on how millennial are you. (laughs) What's the deal with this trend? Why is the resale trend just moving so fast right now? What is it that you think you're hitting on in terms of the heartstrings of the American consumer?
2: It definitely seems as though customers care more about who they're giving their money to. Like they actually care Mm -hmm. and they don't want to give their money to a brand that they don't feel like they can support ethically or morally or for all those reasons. I think that's where Up has really been consistent on the sustainability side from the very beginning. And that's why I think as more people become aware of the impact of fashion on our climate change, mm-hmm. that's really drawn a lot of people to want to support the idea secondhand. I also think just fashion in general has changed a lot. There's a lot more kind of androgynous styles, a lot more mm. things that are just sort of classic that don't change as much as they used to. So people are getting a lot more wear out of their clothing than they maybe used to have in the past. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a combination of some of those things that seems to really be resonating with our customer. Is it
0: generational? Like, do you see, is it, is, is, is your customer base more, is more younger customer base? Or are you seeing it across all the spectrums that are exhibiting the behavior you just described?
2: So... When we looked at this two years ago, it was really interesting because we saw a really big spike in the younger customer and then a really big spike in the older customer. Mm-hmm. And we had this, I had this mental story where it was like grandma and her granddaughter were going shopping together and they were going thrifting together because it was sort of like the middle wasn't quite there the same way. We're still seeing the growth on the younger side for sure and the, the growth on the older as well, but we are seeing really strong growth kind of across the board, which is really nice. But for example, on a wall that's, Creek store, we'll have a nine year old come in with her mom and buy something. We'll have an older grandma come in with her friends after lunch and buy things. It kind of speaks to everyone depending on. The trend we're focusing on yeah, it's just
0: mattering to everyone. You yeah, know, at this well, point.
1: and the huge assortment of product you have in the store. I right. mean, you, if you're carrying high-end luxury and you're carrying festival wear, I mean, right. the, it's it's like the reimagination of the department store. You're catering to all these different people in one location. Right. Well, and really from the brilliant. sounds
0: of it, it gives you a reason to go. Right. Like we always, you and right. I always talk about that, right? And like, what's the why I'm going to this place? Well, because every time I go, it's going to be a treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. It's gonna, yeah. I'm going to see something I haven't potentially seen before. Right. And there aren't many places I can count on that. And the website's the exact same, quite mm -hmm, frankly.
1: Right. And you also know that I think if you need to find a shirt to wear to this festival, you're going to find it there. It's not like you are going there and it's this new brand that you've never heard of and that nothing fits you. You Mm -hmm. still have an assortment to choose from when you walk in the door. You're going to get your mission accomplished. Right. Right. High
0: high degree of confidence that the Dan Fogelbook shirt is maybe. I'm (laughs) just kidding. I did buy one of those once, but that's a different story. All right. (laughs) Let's get you out of here on this. Yeah. We love to play the game. How millennial are you? And take all it away. right, let's do it. Heather,
1: we have three questions okay. for you. The first question is, when the option is available, let's say you're at a grocery store, you're going to pay. Are you pulling out cash or credit card or using some form of mobile wallet? The only way
2: I can answer this is I don't go to the grocery store because I order it all online. <laughs> I mean,
1: that mm-hmm. wins. All. We're done. Right? I, like,
2: I can't. <laughs> I think I went to the grocery store once and I called my friend's and they were they were shocked. they're like, "Why are you there? Are you okay? What's wrong?
0: Oh my God, the bear is Was, so yeah. different uh-huh. oh my, and you live in a suburb, and you're still doing that huh yeah,
2: yeah. I, I, it's just prioritizing yeah, yeah. just
0: prioritizing, <laughs> the, prioritizing. okay yeah. so, so you're heavily in the direct direct delivery of groceries yes. Market. yes, all right, all right,
1: moving on, uh I think we might know the answer to this one then. How many times yeah. in the last week have you ordered food or coffee um, through an app in the last week?
2: Maybe four times. Only four times? Yeah. I do have kids, so I have to sometimes set a good example for them. <laughs> so I do try to make a lot of home-cooked meals for them. Um, and I usually end up cooking a lot at home, which is why I do the grocery delivery. Sure. But sometimes in a pinch, you know, you need DoorDash or Instacart or something okay. like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: How about Starbucks? Are you uh, Are you a coffee drinker?
2: I am, but my favorite is to... Order it when I know there's a big line, so then I can walk by everyone and pick it up. in nice. and wave. Doesn't it make you feel like a
0: boss. <laughs>
2: I love oh, it. Oh man, it feels so good. I like get the app everyone. I can't
0: believe
1: people still haven't. <laughs> why, done are this. Here? Yeah. why are yeah, you here? Like, like, what are you doing in line? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, last question. If you could only use one social app, what would it be and why? Mm,
2: it would probably be. This sounds, this is not millennial of me at all. It would probably be Facebook only because of the age span that goes on Facebook. Okay. And I think about my own personal use with my family. It like spans all those generations, right. and in most cases, a lot of people that are using Instagram are still uploading onto their Facebook. So I feel like I would still get like a flavor of what's
1: going on there.
0: <laughs> the PG version, right? <laughs> right, right. right, right, right.
2: That's version. a good point,
1: though. Friends no one's family. ever brought that up before, and I do no. think that that's important. You're kind of it is kind of an aggregator two, in that sense. Yeah. Two where you, words yeah. With one stone. Like if I had to pick, that's yeah. what I would. That's what I would pick.
2: Yeah. All right. That's mine too. Yeah. So that's the one I always go. I'm to. Like whatever, it's fine. Yeah. There's just some <laughs> things that I like to be retro. <laughs>
0: Our age group too yeah that just for some reason that's just what lands yeah, yeah. that in linkedin and yeah and uh, of course text at too. least i didn't
2: say like myspace or something oh no
0: that we probably we probably be would a first cut that and edit it yeah. and, <laughs> yeah. and not let anyone hear it you know maybe sound bite it but maybe we someday you'll get like
1: a market. real doozy from someone oh man we've gotten some crazy questions <laughs> yeah, or answers but, but yeah try to
0: get really heady about it too which is yeah. always fun like oh, oh did you know this you know and you're like okay yeah cool man mm-hmm. good job but no, you did pretty well. It'll be fun. That'll be fun to play back in the office too. So awesome! But hey, thanks so much for sitting yeah, down thank with you us for too. for having me. Day one of the conference. It's beautiful outside. Uh, it's always fun, whatever noises you're gonna get from the outside atmosphere. But but this was great. And again, this is probably I honestly, it's probably one of the hottest trends in retail right now. That's yes. retail, and probably one of the hottest companies in retail, mm-hmm. and that's ThreadUp. So again, Heather Craig, thank you so much, the head of retail experience at ThreadUp. Hope you enjoy the show thank here you. at Retail West want to give one last thank you to our sponsors Cezil and Styolitics. be sure to check them out at the show and of course to everyone out there as always be careful out there